welcome to Fruiting Body Podcast, and I'm your host, Brendan O'Neill. I'm a Canadian expat living in Phuket, Thailand, and Fruiting Body is a medicinal mushroom company. Our intentions of this podcast is to connect with people living on the island and share their stories with you. This is episode seven with Phil Anthony. Uh, Phil Anthony is a health and business coach in uh, Phuket, Thailand. Uh, he's been uh, featured on uh, TED Talks, and actually Phil is one of my business coach mentors. Uh, today we'll be talking with Phil, um, not just about business and health, um, but also about his lifestyle and his journey living on the island of Phuket. I think we'll get a lot of nice nuggets out of there for you. First, Phil, thanks for, for joining us on the Fruiting Body podcast with your host, Brendan O'Neill. Uh, yeah, my videographer keeps making me say that because I forget it. Um, so let's just jump right into it. Um, Phil, can you uh, just explain a little bit about your journey and how you came from the UK and what brought you to Phuket? Yeah, so I've been in Phuket for the last seven years, have loved it. As many of us do, we fall in love with this island life. Um, and I came seven years ago, actually from the Middle East, where I was a consultant and engineer for about five years. And before that, I was uh, studying, working and brought up in the UK in London. Um, and like many people, I was in a job, a corporate job, which served many you know, purposes. It was a good salary. It was a good life. It was what I always wanted. And I got to the point whereby I just wanted to try new things. I wanted to test myself. I wanted to challenge myself. And so seven years ago, I decided probably at that point, at the peak of my career, to go, you know what? I want to jump ship and try something new. And so I moved to Phuket, um, became a director and a partner in Asia's leading health and wellness retreat, um, grew that from a seven or eight bedroom resort to uh, a retreat that could host about 40 to 50 people. We had celebrities, uh, CEOs, general people that just wanted to upgrade their health and wellness. And I did that for about four years. And then again, I got itchy feet and decided, okay, let me start my own few businesses. Let me uh, go into the travel space, into the health and nutrition space, into coaching. And uh, I'm here today also continuing to experiment with other things such as blood sugar, uh, gut health, sleep, stress. That's my new uh, kind of passion at the moment. Okay, so you're wearing a ton of hats, or you yeah. you have worn a ton of hats. Now, now that that connection, that that jump um, from your your previous corporate gig into Phuket. Now, was you were working on uh, what specific specific project before making that leap? Yeah. So when I graduated, I always wanted to design buildings. I had this vision that I would design these little I call gems dotted around the world. That was my vision, and so. From a very young age, I wanted to design stadiums because I, I saw them as the pinnacle of architecture and engineering. So I worked on the 2012 Olympic Stadium. Um, I worked on some stadiums in the Middle East. I worked on some towers and megastructures in Saudi Arabia. And um, I was basically, just before making that leap out of engineering and consulting, I was working on, uh, we call it the King Abdullah Financial District, which is probably about 40 skyscrapers. This in, is in Saudi Arabia? In Saudi, yeah. yeah. 40 skyscrapers, um, all, you know, a couple of million, billion dollars each. And 
it was very rewarding. We could play, we could have fun, we could design what we wanted. Um, and I got to a point where I thought, what's my legacy? Like, mm. you know, I'm making wealthy people wealthier. I'm making big business uh, even bigger. And I just wanted to get back down to the essence of who I wanted to be and actually help individuals. Um, and, and at the same time, lead a life that was rewarding and fun uh, and where I can constantly grow. So, yeah, at that point, I was designing towers. Okay, so at this point, you're in Saudi Arabia. And can you specifically remember, maybe, I don't want to say the date and time, but specifically, when did you make that decision? You know what? I need to make a change. I need to leave this nine to five and I need to go do my own thing. What was that, that uh, key point? Good question. I think a lot of us have these moments where it's the trigger or the turning point, yes. um, whether it's because you want to change your health or because you're burnt out or you've hit rock bottom. For me, my one was after I won an award. I was 27, I think I was 27. And up until that age, I was running towards this goal. My goal was to earn as much money as possible, to become as highly qualified as I could, to you know buy a house. And basically, there were all things that I didn't have when I was younger. I didn't have security and stability. Um, you know, I come from a council estate in North London, um, went to state schools my whole life. My brothers and sisters, great people, but none finished school. Um, and so for me, I, I didn't quite know what I wanted, but I knew what I didn't want. I didn't want fear and scarcity. I wanted abundance and money. So once I had got to this stage in my career where I was actually being rewarded for all that hard work and hard study, I won this award and it was consultant of the year. And it was across all engineering disciplines and um, international. And I went to this event in London took my sister and they were awarding a an award for consultant of the year and I was very shocked but I won it and when I won it I had this like amazing feeling it was like I was so proud all this hard work finally paid off but I went home to my house in London so I, I flew back to London for this award ceremony and I, I, I went back home with my sister and sat on the bed that I'd grown up in um in the house I'd grown up in and I just thought what's next and you know all this work that I'd put in to achieve you know what I wanted what I thought I wanted I actually felt more empty than anything because I was like well now I've got it like what what next and I think a lot of us push ourselves and work so hard um for the end goal but what I now realize it's the journey that's actually the most rewarding when you achieve your goals it's kind of, you, you're proud of yourself, but the fun kind of stops. Mm -hmm. And so I remember going back to my job in Saudi, going to my boss, and you know I'd won this award. I was chartered at, I don't know, 26. I was one of the youngest chartered engineers in the world. It was all good. I you know, had great salary. Every, like had literally nothing to complain about. But I went to my boss and I just said, I just don't feel right. And as an engineer and a consultant, we don't really talk about our feelings very much and so he was like well what's what's wrong I said nothing's wrong I just don't feel right and this is a big thing in mental health for example mm -hmm. if you don't feel if you don't feel great it's kind of like well you know what's your excuse like you've got everything you've ever wanted and you're healthy and but 
if you just don't feel good, being told that doesn't cut the mustard. You know, you just like uh, just don't is that good. the the universe telling you it's time for a change or some people, you know, there's these memes, cliches and whatnot that yeah. are going to say that maybe that's what it is. And, and yeah. uh, so, so from there you, you, you felt there was room for a change and then, uh, sorry, just continue on your story from what you did next. Well, I didn't really know what I wanted. That's the problem. And I think many of us have this, you know, we, we, we kind of follow societal rules and family kind of, push us in a direction and school does and education does and business does but I wasn't really asking myself what I wanted and you know I went into engineering and architecture because I wanted to design I wanted to create and I got to a point where I felt like I wasn't being that creative anymore and the higher you go up in business the more management you do rather than design so I said to my boss I don't feel great I don't know what's wrong, but I need to take some time out. And he was like, okay, how much time do you want? And, you know, I said, well, I don't know. And he said, well, you know, tell me. And I I said, well, to be honest, I feel a bit lost. And he said, okay, so you want a couple of weeks off to find yourself? And I was like, well, I've never lost myself, but I don't think I'm going to find myself in two weeks. (laughs) Like, I won't even have time to go to a beach. So he gave me six weeks off, paid, and I was like, okay, I'll find myself. And I came to Thailand, as many people do, and uh, decided, okay, I don't really have a plan. I just want to try many different things. So it was a bit of fun. I just How did you decide Thailand, of all places, to come? One of my best friends was a diplomat in the U.S. Embassy in Thailand. And um, she was like, come, you know, there's so much nature here. There's so much freedom. Come, just spend six weeks here. Okay. And she... To be honest, she had a free bedroom. Lush. And she was she was living here. And yeah. And then it's also you don't have to do too much planning for travel. Exactly. Let's go. Exactly. It okay. was just a thing of like, let's just try this. Yeah. Thailand was quite cheap. So I was like, OK, let's go. So I signed up to a massage course. Uh, I just run the London Marathon in the UK at the time. So I was pretty fit. And after about four weeks of kind of bumming around in Bangkok, still no closer to finding myself, I thought, OK, I need to actually do something because I'm going to go back to my job in Saudi and they're going to be like, have you found yourself? And I haven't done anything to find myself. So I booked into a health retreat and I'd never done anything like that before. I'd never meditated, never done Muay Thai, never done, I'd done a bit of yoga before and never eaten plant-based food, you know, never, never done anything like that. And I went to this health retreat and I just fell in love with the experience. I, I fell in love with just being able to learn about how you can optimize your body through food, through sleep, through ice bathing, through fitness. And within about two or three days of being there as a guest, the owners said to me, we'd love you to stay on and be our director. And I was like, I have no background in any any of this. Mm-hmm. Like I, I consulted on <clears throat> businesses. I'd never run a business. I'd never marketed a business. I'd never had to sell to a customer, like, what experience do I have? And they were like, oh, we just like you. We, we like you. And I was like, wow, I've never been told that before. Um, and so I went back to my job in Saudi and I just thought, I, I, I just thought to myself, you know what, if I don't do this, I won't ever get this opportunity again to become a director of a business. I have no experience in, and they're, they're just trusting me. So I handed in my notice, came to Thailand, and uh, the rest is history. Which year was that? That was 2013. 2013. And you came directly to Phuket, and you've been in Phuket ever since. Yeah. 
and we're in the year 2021 just in <laughs> case anyone 50 years from now finds this video yeah <laughs> um, it's crazy eight years like yeah, it's a long, long time. Okay, and that's kind of the the stories and the journey um, that we're looking to to gain on this podcast because there are a lot of people in your position, I would assume, all over the world. Maybe they have an engineering background and they're looking, I don't want to be negative for a way out, but maybe for another option. Yeah. Um, and, and what would you recommend? What is that first step you need to take? What do you need to overcome to make that leap? And, and is that internal? And maybe you can talk a little bit about that. Yeah, it's a really good, really good question. I think many people, especially over this period of the last year where they're reflecting on their jobs and their careers and their status at home and their health, like lots of questions coming up for people this last year. Um, and I think the first thing is, is not seeing it as a leap. I think a leap sounds scary. Mm. You know, it makes it sound like you have to have it all figured out you have to have a real good plan and and that's great if you can have that but many of us don't and so we all know when you start a business for example whatever your plan was it always has to adapt and change so why not apply that to your own life like if your intention is i want to try something new then it doesn't have to be that you quit your job and make a big leap it could be okay you've got saturday and sunday could you spend one hour just brainstorming the next week? Could you buy a book and read it the next week? Could you watch a YouTube channel the week after? Could you listen to a podcast like this and just be inspired? And it, it might take a while, but just step by step thinking to yourself, what's the next easiest, simplest, cheapest thing that I can do mm -hmm. that allows me to explore my options. And so, you know, I coach people now and I coach businesses and there's a lot of people that you know, come to me and they're like, you know, I'm fed up of my job in banking. I want to become a yoga teacher. Like, I'm like, okay, this is good. Not bad. But have you ever taught a yoga class? Have you even done many yoga classes? Have you ever, you know, been on a retreat that's immersed you in yoga for a period? There's things you can do before opening a studio, you know, and committing to that. And, and that could be uh, the... Uh, Let's say, say to play devil's advocate on that. Um, the argument could be that concept of let's use yoga as an example. Maybe that person just needs to go take a yoga class. But once they take that yoga class, they find something else and it snowballs. And just that initial gut feeling change can lead to uh, further things in the development. So like based on like your decision, when you, when you won that award... How quickly from the day you won that award to landing in Thailand? Was that six months? Was it a month? How quick did that it happen? It was about nine months. Nine months. But it was three months after I won that award that I came to Thailand initially and did that health retreat uh, as, a, as a holiday. Yeah, so it, it was fairly quick for you to make yep. that decision. And I think that's something I, I find it, there's a trend and a pattern with a lot of people that, that have come to Thailand. They make the decision pretty quick. They don't sit on it for a year, two years, five years. I think it kind of bites you in the ass and it says, hey, you better make that decision now because you might not make it later. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, there's a quote that I love to tell people and it's basically action is the cure to procrastination. And it's, you know, you could be sat at home toying up your options for the next five years. And in that, in that five years, 
rather than just sitting there doing nothing, you could have taken some small actions that would either validate or invalid invalidate your hypothesis of whether changing country, changing career was good or wrong or bad or right on test it. Um, you know, in any business, if you're a graphic designer, you don't just create the final product. You have to iterate and you have to try. And sometimes you have to get it wrong in order to know what's right. Mm -hmm. And I think that's true of life. Like, you know, you've got to try things to have confidence um, and find what you love and find what you don't love. I think that's equally important. And it's often the case when I coach people, they're, they're, very, they're very good at telling me what they don't like and what they don't want but they also are very not very clear on what they do want. And often what they do want is the opposite of what they don't want. Mm -hmm. And so part of my job is to reframe it and be like, rather than running away from what you don't want, we've got to find what you absolutely want and run towards that. So as an example, people will tell me I'm fed up of not having the freedom in my job. I've got to be there from nine till six, right? So I want freedom now. Well, no, you don't want the rigidity of a corporate job. And so you think you want freedom. But let me tell you what freedom means. Freedom is having no structure, making sure that you're highly motivated every day off your own back yeah. because now you've got no one else to blame. So do you want that as well? Because that's hard. Yeah, and, and if you go off on your own, I mean, working as an entrepreneur, you're going to be, you're not working nine to five. You're working 6 a.m. to 2 a.m. There's no end. Yeah, there's no like, end. I, th I'll be honest with you. There's yeah. periods of my life where I'm like, Gosh, when I was a consultant, I could work five days a week, leave my you know, job at the door and enjoy my weekends. Now, working for myself, it never ends, which is a good thing and a bad thing. And yeah. You have to find that balance. And so, you know, my job is to help people work out a strategy to kind of de-risk that change and explore and also work out a plan of action to move them towards who they want to become. Are you create? do you have a process in place that's like, this is um, your protocol or is it cookie cutter or everybody that you meet, you kind of adapt based on what they're looking for? Yeah, as a coach, we have to employ very many different strategies depending on the person and depending what stage they are at, at their journey. So some people might, ha might have limiting beliefs about their own ability. So we might have to start there. Some have overcome that and they uh, have tested loads of ideas and now they want clarity on what the next steps are and some people everything is absolutely going well mm -hmm. but they want to keep on that track so it doesn't always have to be wrong in order for you to receive coaching and it doesn't always have to be that you know you you don't know the next steps maybe you do know the next steps and you want to speak it out to someone and have someone kind of provide some resistance to the idea so that you can talk yourself around to it. So yeah, there's some, there's very many strategies and I, you know, to be honest, there's no cookie cutter. There are, it's like, it's like designing a building. There's very many materials I can use. I can use concrete, steel, timber, glass, whatever. And there's very many design processes I can follow and they will all lead to a good result. But, as a coach, I need to pick and help that person select the right strategy for them um, and, 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 you know, make it work for them. And some people can go quite quick and some people have to go a bit slower. Yep. Um, so 
Yeah. And, and the, these, do you find uh, people when they're coming to you, and, and I guess we're on this topic of a coaching, but we'll get back to the, the nutrition stuff in a second. Um, and I think we'll find a segue into nanobles from this. Mm-hmm. Specifically, when you have um, someone come to you for co- coaching advice, are they looking for the secret sauce or, the, or an answer or that, you know, if I do this one thing, everything will change. And, and maybe we can go off your example of the someone working the corporate uh, finance job that wants to be the yoga teacher. Are they looking for, you know, Phil, just tell me what to do. Good question. When I decided to enter the coaching field, I realized that for me, I'm the person in many people's lives, um, my friends, my family, um, strangers, where Often they'll be like, can we get a coffee? Because I want to pick your brain. This is like 100%, like no exaggeration. I probably receive three to four um, messages, calls, emails a day, Instagram messages being like, Phil, I'd love to like buy you a coffee so I can pick your brain. And that's great. But, you know, if you were a doctor and someone's got a health problem, do you go to your doctor and be like, hey, Mr. Doctor, like I'm, yeah. I'm really sick. Can I pick your brain? No, you go for a consultation and we have to look at the symptoms and diagnose what they are in order to provide the solution. So people do want quick fixes. And unfortunately, there isn't any. You have to sometimes go back into people's kind of lift the hood on them and find out what they want. Some people just want you to validate their ideas. And I'm not that guy. Yep. So if you... If you've got a business idea and you just want the yes man, there's plenty of coaches that will do that. But I'm like, I want the best for you. So let's ask better questions. And again, I always say the quality of your answers depends on the quality of your questions. And if your coach isn't asking you the right questions, you're going to lead to the wrong answers. And it might work for the next six months to a year. But because you've gone off in one direction because you didn't ask the right questions, probably in a year's time, you're going to be like, Mm. shit, why didn't I think about this? And and in terms of the psychology side behind the business coaching, where did your uh, your training come from? Did it just was it self trained just through different uh, material? How how did you um, um, build up your skill level on that aspect of the business coaching? Yeah, so I was this weird kid, Brendan. To be honest, <laughs> I, I you know I've been reading personal growth books before they were cool. I I would go to the local bookstore, sit on the floor, and speed read. Um, books I don't have the money to buy them so that's what I would do and so you know when people are now reading books by Tony Robbins and Jay Shetty and um, Brenny Brown and just take the mic a bit and turn it that way yeah is that okay no it's just because if it's up it's like going in you see so it's like this part of it's okay this is we're getting we're getting some technical oh there you go right there is that better yeah you're good okay yeah so you know I've been reading these things before they were even cool and think my interest in that started then when I trained as an architect and engineer part of what we have to do is we have to get inside the client's head so when a client wants a building for example they they don't know specifically how that is going to look they don't particularly know what that's going to be and how big that's going to be so as an architect we have to create a vision and convey that vision back to the client and then we have to put a structure to it and build the building as an engineer so Mm. it's similar very similar with humans and our psychology we often have dreams that's like the architect's vision and i have to help clients get that vision onto paper and 
bring clarity to that. And most people can't build a business on their own. So we need to get that vision from their head onto a piece of paper so that other people in that business, maybe the marketing guy, maybe the accounting girl, maybe the mm-hmm. law person can all understand the founder's vision. So that's not the architecture part part of it. Then you have to create a framework in which to build that business. And that's the engineering side. So my as a consultant, my skills and my experience from that, I've literally transferred it into personal development. Mm-hmm. It's it's the same principles. Because I'm like, if we use this... The same structure that, that these processes you're using. Yeah. Very, it's very... Uh, it can be applied to any industry that you're going into. Yeah, if you're a designer, you can design... The same framework for design applies whether you're designing a table or whether you're designing a multi-million dollar company or whether you're designing the next Tesla. So, you know, it's mm. all the same framework. And, you know, having used those consulting frameworks to work on billion dollar projects, I'm like, they apply to people the same. Okay, so on that side, when you are dealing with your, your clients and the business coaching and you're getting involved in the, the psychology behind creating a plan that will be molded to, to them, um, this part, you're... you're, you're you're taking mostly from what you've learned um, at a younger age from re- reading personal growth and pre- personal development. And I'm uh, sorry, it's a bit long-winded, this question. But from there, what are you doing continuously to further enhance your own uh, knowledge? Or maybe on, on it could be new age theories coming out in terms of uh, personal growth and, and personal growth and personal development. And if you could touch on a little bit of that. Great question. So... With anything, the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. So that's the first thing. If you think you're an expert in anything, you're probably not an expert because if you're an expert, you realize how much more there is to learn and how many more connections there are. And luckily, especially in health and nutrition, for example, the research that is coming out right now, where it's the best time to be alive, yep. like in terms of that. So um, for me, my personal growth is often from my own coaches it's from my own reading my own research going through scientific papers um continuously challenging myself i think you know i had real problems with my sleep i i never slept properly and after reading and researching reading and researching i found for me what i found was a a pathway to better sleep which because i fixed my own problems yep. now i feel qualified to help others um, and break down those complex science that I had to go through, you know, for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks of reading these papers. And most people don't have that time or that motivation to do that. So most of my learning is on the shoulders of giants. I, mm. you know, I'm not recreating knowledge. I'm this There's PhD people, doctors in universities at Cambridge, Oxford, that dedicate their life to studying, you know, the tiniest microbe in the mm. gut. And then there's thousands of scientists doing this. If you can read and understand some of it, then you don't have to do the research yourself. You just stand on their shoulders. Yeah, and I mean, behind every, let's say, uh, researchers or, or let's say a, a lecture at a university, I mean, one of their research papers, it could be, let's say something simple, 9,000, maybe 15,000 words. Mm-hmm. I mean, there could be thousands of hours behind that. And then you can digest it in, let's say, two three days so that's that's the 
the interesting part behind you yeah. know, understanding the information. 100%. Every book, every, every yeah, it's, it's thousand, you know, every book is been refer, you know, has referenced a million other books exactly because that author has read those things and they've listened to different things and they've studied. So when you, I think reading is the best thing anyone can do. Like my my home. Um, it's covered in books yep. and I'm old school. I don't read like Kindle books yet because no. something different about the tactile book, you but need to flip the page. You need to smell the page. Yeah. The book. Annotate it and write it. And yeah. I think that's the other thing. Taking in this knowledge is step one, but the more important step is actioning that knowledge mm-hmm. without action. You're not learning and you need that feedback loop. You need to, you know, if we, if I told you today, ice bathing is great for your sleep. Unless you do it and trial it on yourself, it will go in one ear and come out the other. For sure. You won't do it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, with every client that I have for coaching, it's always like, here's the action. And you've got to do it today or tomorrow at least. Because if you don't... Never happens. You won't do it. Mm -hmm. And the neurons in your brain won't connect. So you've just wasted an hour of my time and your time because you didn't spend five minutes actioning this. And you need to create that habit to follow it. Okay, I, I had a, a question about more about you, Phil. Yep. And I hear a lot of the keywords uh, repeating, uh, structure, and creativity. Um, I'm going to assume in your day-to-day life, you, you must be quite structured in terms of Sunday night I'm planning and my whole week is pretty much planned out. I'm, a, I'm guessing, maybe I'm wrong, from Monday to Friday, let's say, not maybe to the hour, maybe not. Um, that's the first part of the question. Is that true? And let's talk a little bit about the structure of your life. The second part of the question is constantly changing through creativity. I also have to assume that after two months, that structure you need to change and you need to recreate. I could be completely wrong, but that's just my assumption. And could you talk a little bit about your structure and your your personal life schedule, both personally and to the business side and and what is the day in life of Phil? How do you plan and what does your week look like? This is a brilliant question. Wow. Okay, where do I start? Okay, I'm gonna start <laughs> I'm gonna start with this. So everyone listening right now, if I had to give you one piece of advice that if you did this, it can change your life. Like just basically listen to this and forget everything else I'm saying, because this is okay. this is the best thing you can do. So when people are trying to think about what they want for their future. We say things like, I want this much money in my bank. I want this home. I want to live like this. I want this many holidays. And it's very like um, goal-driven, but the product of, of the goals. And we, we're, we can often be quite clear on that. And I, I like to change it up a bit. I say to people, okay, if in, say, two years, you could have your dream life, what would your time look like, right? So... What time would you wake up? What would you do next? What time would you eat breakfast? Who would you be with? When do you sit at a laptop? When do you have a coffee? When do you go to the gym? Like schedule out your perfect week, right? As if it's as if it's happening tomorrow, yep. right? So you can go on Google Calendar and Google Calendar, I love it because you can edit it super quick and put in blocks how your ideal week would be. Ideal, like no barrier to what's possible just do do whatever feels right so you fill that weekend then on the next slide do what your current calendar is like spend a day spend a week sorry 
recording what you actually do. Now, there's no secret. If you want the ideal life that you've just created, you have to look at where you currently are and make changes incrementally. There's a statistic that says, if you are 1% better every day, just 1%, like if today you can run a mile and then tomorrow you can run run 1.01 of a mile, if you do that every day, do you know how many times better you'll be by the end of the year? Have a guess. Well, 10 miles. Oh, by the end of the year. End of the year. If you're just 1% better every day. Uh, you'd be doing 30 miles a day, no? You're, you're really close. You'll be 37 times better, right? Mm. So, for example, rather than thinking, I want to be a millionaire, or, you know, I need to have a million dollar idea. If I gave you, you know, a thousand dollars, right? Your challenge is tomorrow for that to be one thousand and ten dollars. Your next day's challenge is to be one percent more than that, one percent more than that. And after a year, you'll have thirty seven thousand dollars just from a thousand dollars. Well, the same is true of your time. So if you know where you want to be and you know where you're at, you just have to one percent better every day for a year. So for me, at the start of every year, I plan how I want the end of my year to look like on a daily basis. Do I ever get there? No. Do I move towards it? Yes. Every three months, do I have to audit and check in on myself and be like, Phil, you thought you wanted to wake up at seven, but that doesn't work. You need to wake up early if you want to do this. You've got to constantly edit your goals and, you know, change that. So in relation to is my day fully structured, I try my best to uh, live to a structure. However, is it planned out before? It's planned on a weekly basis, yeah. Are it's calendar. Like are you doing? Are you planning out the, a week like on a Sunday night, or you sit down every Sunday for an hour and you plan out that week based on what you're going to do? Yes. So on a on a weekly basis, I will be like shopping on that day. I'll be like need to do the, these many classes in the gym. But sometimes, you know, got to be reactive. On a Thursday, I'm like I'm tired. I can't go to the gym today. I yeah. don't feel like it. So I'm responsive to that. And the next week I try to adapt the calendar again to constantly iterate and, and, and get better. The thing is, you know, as I said, every plan needs to build in flexibility so that if you don't meet your plan, you're not like, I'm shit, I'm dumb. You I'm, don't feel I'm, depressed. Yeah, because people have, I see it time and time again. And coaches are the worst for putting pressure on their clients like this. They'll be like, okay, let's plan out your action plan for the year. That's too much. It's too much. Like, have some flexibility. Have some intentions. The other trick that I do is I write down just a bullet point list of 20 things that I want to do that week. If I can do one or two or three of them, that's great. I just move the other 17 to the next week and add to that list again. Mm -hmm. And, you know... You've got to have some flexibility in there. I'm coaching my brother at the moment. Yep. And every day I set him a new tiny challenge. It will be like, for example, I'll notice he will have drank, you know, two liters of water. I'm like, okay, today your new challenge is can you drink two and a half liters? And I never move to the next challenge Mm -hmm. until he's completed the other one. So it's a great way of, rather than giving him a hundred challenges in one go, he won't do any of them. It's like, just commit to this one thing every day. And he's learning and he's, he's developing really quick. And, um, you know, I told him by the end of the year, you will have lost 60 kilos. 
mm-hmm. and he's a big guy. So you would have lost 60 kilos and thinking about 60 kilos, he, he probably wouldn't start because it's too big. But if we break it down into, can you commit to just drinking one liter more? Yeah. It's easy to do. Next day, can you eat equal amount of protein to carbs? Yeah, I can do that. Next week, next day, can you eat one piece of green vegetable in your breakfast? Yes, I can. Over the course of a year, 365 little edits. Again, 37 times better. Yeah, and it's just those, like, also that the saying, at, what is it, at uh, 99 degrees Celsius, water doesn't boil, and then you add that extra degree and boom. Oh. Exactly. Same, same concept. And it also sounds in terms, uh, you're applying this from, from, uh, to, to time and saying, okay, every day if I increase 1% over a year is 37%. It's also kind of the the, the principles of like uh, understanding compound interest in yes, finance. Exactly. Warren Buffett yeah. says like the best thing, no matter what financial advice you have um, and you receive and economic understanding you have, you know, compound interest cumulatively over time yeah. beats anything. Yes. So... If we apply that to finances, why wouldn't we apply that to health? Exactly. And if we apply that to health, why wouldn't we apply that to business? And if we apply it to business, why wouldn't we apply that to our friendships? Like, it's what you do consistently over time that will make the difference. It's just not very sexy. You know, everyone wants these sexy goals. Of well, like, everyone wants, you know, get rich quick, fast, not just in terms of money, but in terms of everything, health, you know, uh, personal life. They're looking for the, the, the quick reward and exactly. it's just not attainable. And that's... You know, like, do you invest in crypto, for example? No, but I'm an advocate. I've been watching it, but I could talk about that for hours. But well, not to go into that too much, yeah. but crypto has attracted a lot of people because it's, you know, a hundred times their money increase in a year, you know, which is great. But you also need to think, you know, are you willing to play the long game and let that compound over time? Or you just want to constantly stress of that, you know, yeah, input, output, too. blah, blah, blah. So easy come, easy go mm-hmm. is often the way. But if you can have an investment strategy whereby you've got a house, which is growing a little bit, if you've got a business, which is growing a bit, and you've got some crypto and that, you know, that's your bit of play and, you know, de-risking it a bit. Great. Yeah, I don't, for, for me, like I, I, I watched crypto when I was at five and I, I've watched it since 2013. But to be honest, like I would rather invest in myself than something I can't control. Yeah. Which is, I think it's a much better investment. Yes. Yeah. Um, on, um, so, so talking about, um, sorry, I just lost my train of thought. We were talking about your structure of, of your, of your day. And I, I tried to do the same too, but you know, you, you lose the way. Sometimes a whole week goes by and you're like, Oh, I didn't plan anything that week. And just things get out of hand. Um, are you quite, structured in your own sense every sunday i sit down this is my plan for the week and if uh i don't go to the gym um and i need to just a day to rest like that you won't fall into like you won't feel uh, upset or depressed that you did not go how do you how do you handle that those emotions i think the number one thing to realize is we're not robots mm-hmm. you know a factory full of machinery and robots can act to a precise time scale without fatigue without anything being a problem we're humans we're affected by so many emotions motivations our food other people politics we're affected by it all so to to have a really rigid plan um and 
to be able to stick to that plan 100% is near enough impossible. So you kind of had to accept that. Like this year as an example, people would have had the best plans and then all of it wiped because we weren't able to travel. Our businesses yeah. were interrupted. So there needs to be flexibility. As an example, my, uh, my little cat, which I had for seven years in Thailand, mm. um, passed away a few weeks ago, but it was three months of extreme like stress about that. Yeah. And did my whole routine fall off the wagon? Yes, because I wasn't in the right mindset. Did I allow myself to have the time where I wasn't really going to the gym as much as I would hope? Did I take some time off of work? Yes. Did I feel bad about doing that? No, I'm human. I've got mm -hmm. to, uh, I've got to, I don't want to say, like, it sounds a bit coachy. I've got to honor how I feel. Yeah. Right. It's not kind to myself to be like, you're shit because, you know, you can't stick to this plan. Um, we have time. We can catch up. And whether you deadlift a PB tomorrow or not doesn't make you a better or worse human. Like nothing changes. I took basically a couple of months off of training hard. I went back to training, took about two weeks and I felt the same. Like nothing. You just jump right back into Yeah, it. nothing shifts. Obviously, if that was paired with a lot of unhealthy decisions about eating really badly, then yeah, it probably would have affected me. But I just didn't spend time at the gym, but I also didn't eat pizza every day. So yeah, as long as you kind of managing your diet in a, in a healthy way, then at least you can and not fall, falling right off the rails. It's okay if you don't go to the gym. And it's the same with business. Yep. Like this past year, most of the, my business interests took a real hit. But rather than fighting against that hit, I was like, actually, maybe this is an ideal time to revisit what these businesses stand for. Let me educate myself on some things that I wanted to learn. That I just didn't have time. Um, you know, the whole blood sugar um, element to my work I basically created in this last year and didn't earn anything from it but it was a time that I had to be like right I yep. need to study this and this is like my biggest passion at the moment yeah yeah and so let's let's that's a good segue for that so I mean Phil you went from engineering to TED talk to business uh well you're still doing your business coaching uh being involved in health retreats which obviously probably this is where uh, you found most of your information, your passion behind uh, nutrition and fitness. Um, can we talk a little bit about how, what are you doing now in terms of nutrition? What are you studying and, and what's going on in your life in that aspect? Okay, so if you've watched my TED Talk, you can find it on YouTube. I think it's called uh, How to Get Your Mojo Back, Phil Anthony M. You can find it on there we TEDx. Go. We'll put that right there. Yeah, <laughs> TEDx that. TEDx that shit. And um <laughs> One of the strategies I have in that, which I share, is uh, creating your personal personal vision statement, your PVS. Mm -hmm. So my personal vision statement, my guiding North Star, is I help people uh, overcome things and make things easier and better. So for me, it's my name is Phil. I help people make things easier and better whatever that means right so if it's nutrition my job is to make it easier and better for you if it's business coaching easier and better always easier and better so i started a nutrition business uh four years ago because i saw that there was a gap in the market here in thailand for breakfasts mainly that were high protein and higher fat um so you know like if you're in nutrition most 
um, nutritionists will say like, you know, eat a high protein breakfast, uh, stay off the carbs a little bit and make sure there's good fat and good fiber. And so when you go to a cafe, it was always like eggs and omelets and stuff like that. And, and nutritionists will tell people like, don't have too much like granola, don't have too much bread. So I wanted to create a product and that's where Nana Bowls was born. Nana Bowls, because I wanted that product in the morning. I wanted a meal that was high protein, high fat, high fiber, um, good good sugars in it, good carbs, um, and full of vitamins and minerals to, to start the day. So I created that product and launched it in uh, about 50 to 60 different hotels and restaurants on the island. And I'm super proud of that. But at the same time, I c- the product I created four years ago and have launched... I now want to take this opportunity to upgrade it and be even better. My research has now told me, um, you know, things like adaptogens, mushrooms, different types of protein, different types of fat, um, different types of fiber for diversity of the gut health. You know, they all have massive parts to play. And adding this to the the product portfolio. Yeah, Mm. adding it to the portfolio, but also educating. Mm. I think products... Uh, and brands we have a responsibility not just to sell but to upgrade people's understanding and you know as i said i haven't invented this information it's all on the market you can buy books you can have it but it's my job to help people understand not just say like oh our product's high fiber like why is that important and what else can you do in your day to get more fiber not just eat my product all day you know and what what is it for what is 2.0 nanobles when you when you do make that comeback and the island opens up do you have a plan set in place or is there something flexible behind that so my intention is at the moment that product is available in the as i said 50 to 60 outlets um my vision for the future of it is to bring that globally and to be in retail and to make it at home for people to be able to do that so at the moment the current operation doesn't allow that and so you know if i want to have a bigger impact it's got to be direct to consumer it's got to be direct to retail it's got to pair with a company that already does that yes and i think that's important from a business perspective is knowing your own limits and there are plenty of brands that do logistics better than i do there's plenty of brands that do marketing better than i do there's certain things that i do better than others so i've got to collaborate with those other inputs and to take the brand further and that shouldn't be you know speaking to everyone listening don't be shy to partner with the right people and what is that the like specific example of that next step if, if you don't mind sharing with yeah us, absolutely like what you would like to do so my goal is to along with my other businesses actually is to go to the regions of the world such as dubai new zealand australia um where they're a little bit behind places like California and and London and um, really take those products, take my my programs in like blood sugar, for example, um, corporate coaching and get into those markets. Um, I want, for example, with the the Nana Bowls, they are frozen products and they're quite big. So at the moment, they can't be in a supermarket space because they take up too much space. Mm. So although it's a great product, it's not suitable for retail. So it's about finding a way that enables you to get, you know, a smaller packaged product that can go direct to basically macros and Tesco's and Asda's and all of those things. And consumers can order them really simply. 
So my next step is to partner with a with a frozen food company yes. to bring Nana Bowls direct to consumer. Uh, and uh, is it possible for frozen fr- frozen foods to be purchased online on e-commerce? I'm I'm getting into some e-commerce stuff, but I mean, then you need st- uh, refrigerated storage and delivery times. There become some issues there. Mm-hmm. Is that even a possibility? Yeah. So from a nutrition point of view, I love frozen things. So okay. you know. Um, I was speaking to my brother about this. He's trying to get healthy. And he said to me, um, oh, you know, I never buy frozen things. And he was like saying that to me as if I should be like, oh, that's great. Because frozen means unhealthy. I'm like, well, to be honest, Mark, frozen foods are often flash frozen, which means they don't have to have preservatives on them. Obviously, ultra processed frozen food is not what I'm talking about. I mean, like, you know, vegetables, fruit, uh, things like meats. If they're frozen, sometimes they're better. Um, and in a way, often when you buy like salmon from Norway, do you think the salmon has like traveled from Norway all the way to the UK or America, or whatever, in a fresh form? No, they've frozen it. And then when it, you know, thawed it off slightly before it's served. So, mm-hmm. yeah, there's absolutely a way for flash freezing um, and frozen uh, transportation and logistics is a bit harder. But to be honest, most, like, pretty much half of the food chain, apart from ultra-processed food, is in cold storage form. Yeah, and all the all the meat over here, we get it's frozen meat from Australia. Um, again, frozen fish, or at least it's on ice that the fish, I would have to assume. Yeah. Uh, even myself, I buy a lot of frozen, I prefer frozen raspberries. Yeah. Uh, I like to throw them in my smoothie just because, I don't know, it sweetens it up and it kind of makes it cold instead of just... Protein and banana. Exactly. And a lot of people will argue that the frozen logistic chain um, costs a lot of energy, you know, to, to keep things frozen. Yeah. But I argue the point of, well, I agree it does use up energy, but what's worse, like more fruit and veg and vegetables and whatever that are fresh being thrown away because they don't look perfect, yeah. um, preservatives being used on them. Um, it's It takes a lot of energy to also keep fresh produce fresh. So my argument of frozen mm. products, um, I think, is actually a great uh, positive for kind of not wasting food. Just the, the only issue you, you do face is uh, when you're dealing with frozen, process, uh, fro- frozen products and shipping, logistics mm. is expensive Yeah, because you need the right trucking. I've looked into this a little bit, yeah. and it's like it's like... Five times the price. But it's never stopped yeah. Nestle, Kellogg's, No, no, no. It, it's these, definitely, so. for, for certain products, I, I believe there's a, there's a lot of value behind it because especially things like raspberry and straw and strawberries. I mean, we get raspberries from, or strawberries from Chiang Mai. I mean, strawberries, they don't last more than three or four days anyways. It's crazy. And if we want people to be more plant-based and eat more yeah. natural foods, then I think the frozen sector and the cold storage sector of food has a big role to play in that and and dry freezing as well and dry products whether it's you know herbs or adaptogens um absolutely nothing wrong we we now have the data to suggest that many bacteria microbes in frozen products um not all of them not it's not 100 percent, but a lot of them almost come back to life um when they're then consumed so you know yeah, we, we, we're doing some some work because uh, we are a medicinal mushroom company and we're doing some work on um, freeze drying into powder form. Yes. Um, and the interesting concept behind that is when you pre- freeze dry into powder form, 
you never break down the molecular structure, so you keep it intact. Um, similar to if you're buying coconut oil and it's cold pressed or have you added heat. Um, when you add heat, you break down the molecular, molecular structure, therefore the cell wall breaks down and now you lose the potency or the, the, the benefits behind the product itself. Um, we're, we're doing that with some of our products. We actually can't talk about that part too much because um, it's, it's under some agreements, especially on the, the, the freeze-drying aspect. Um, but in terms of the adaptogens, um, currently your, your product's on the market for nanobles. Um, so you'll take things like uh, strawberry, raspberry, and then you have, you have the banana protein, and everything's mixed and ready to go, and you, the people would purchase the bag and put it directly into their um, like uh, it's kind of like a smoothie bowl ready to go or can you explain a little bit how that works yeah so at the moment every you know every restaurant that works with us has everything they need ready to blend so for them it's super easy but as i said going direct to consumer um there might have to be elements of that product that are removed from it that the consumer adds in during the you know during the process so um yeah whether it I have the opportunity to add in any other ingredients into those sachets, which I feel can upgrade people's health. Do you give recommendations or does some, does that, is that part of the product? Like yeah. a, let's call it a recommendations cards list or. Yeah. So one of the things our Instagram and Facebook communities, social media communities are really strong. So that enables us to deliver information and recipes and um, very quickly to even to people who don't buy a product, which is great. So, um, you know, you kind of use the marketing not just to sell your product, but to educate people on other decisions they make. So, yep. you know, I don't just want to be like, you know, our product contains ad adaptogens. I want people to go, oh, adaptogens. Maybe I could add that into my dinner. I could buy that product. I could buy that pill, probiotics, prebiotics, um, medicinal mushrooms, herbs. There's so much... Here's the thing. There's so much more to nutrition than just macros and calories. Yes. Like there's so much more. And when people understand this, it can blow their mind. Um, do, yeah, so. do, you, do you stand behind the school of thought? And I think this can be, and all my questions are long-winded for the record. <laughs> um, do you stand behind the school of thought, especially for Thailand, where food is our medicine? And what are your thoughts behind that? Yeah. So... I mean, let's flip the question. Can food be our disease? Well, yes, we know that. We know that since the, um, well, it really started with the, can I, can I talk a little bit about the history of food? Absolutely. I think this, yeah, is, yeah, yeah. this is amazing. Yeah. So if we look before kind of like the 1900s, most people through, you know, the way they died was mainly through infectious diseases um, or starvation or war. So these were the three main causes of death. Um, since the Industrial Revolution, since World War One and Two, um, the main cause of death today is now chronic diseases. So diabetes, heart disease, cardiovascular disease, Alzheimer's, dementia, cancer, all these diseases. So what has changed? Like what has changed pre-1900s to now? Well, the biggest thing that's changed is our food industry. And we know that since food industry has taken over healthcare, research, governments, that we are now being fed foods that are causing disease. So it all pretty much started 
after when America went to war, um, there was a guy called Ansel Keys, and Ansel Keys was a nutritionist that was asked by the government to come up with a food package that basically the army could have wherever they were. So it needed to be, um, you know, packaged food that anywhere in the world that that American soldier... The rations for that. For the rations, yeah, the K rations. They could basically have a balanced, nutritious diet. So, you know, while in the field. So Ansel Keys designed it, and American soldiers lived on it. And when they came back from the war, it just so happened... It was also at the time... Oh, phone interruption. Oh, no, it's okay. Uh, it's probably... It's the guy for my the air conditioner in the room downstairs. Okay. All right, we'll keep rolling. Continue. Okay. So <laughs> after, the, after the American soldiers went home, the food industry was like, oh, hold on a minute. Like, we can make some money from this. And it was just at the time where women were going into the workplace as well. So there was a massive drive and a massive... Um, impetus for all these companies all these food companies to come out with convenience food because women now weren't at home cooking so they used Ansel Keys's principles of like processed foods uh, combined with the fact that women uh, were staying weren't going to weren't staying at home cooking pre-prepared food and they came out with fast food ultra processed food all of this at the same time grains were changed so you know before you could have flour and bread and all of that then grains became an even bigger part of the food sector because they changed the pyramid the food pyramid made grains Mm -hmm. the base of most people's health because they can make money from cereals bread flour all these things and what was it before if you go back most most um i mean it depends on which part of the world uh for example, Scandinavia would be quite different from like Africa. But most of us had a very high plant-based diet um, with good fats would make up a lot. Fruit and sugars would be a smaller proportion because it would be hard to find fruit um, and, and good quality meats and stuff like that. Yep. So the biggest changes happened when we, there's basically four things. We went ultra processed. So we, we basically messed up our food because we added different e-numbers, different preservatives, different artificial ingredients to the point where we, now if you look at the back of a food label, you don't even recognize those things. You can't, you know, you can't buy those things on the back of a food packet in a supermarket individually. They're not, it's not food. So that was number one. Number two, we went highly processed refined grains. Number three, we added loads of sugar to everything, added sugars. And number four, we used... Um, nut and seed oils so margarines uh, vegetable oils these all became the four big factors that have caused inflammation problems Mm -hmm. and inflammation is the root of most chronic disease so when people talk about alzheimer's or dementia which is a problem in the in the brain people kind of accept that okay it's a problem we've just got it it's bad genetics no in Dementia and Alzheimer's are inflammatory problems because inflammation is basically decaying the nerves and cells in your body and the brain is the most sensitive. So have you ever been on like a a day where you forgot to eat breakfast, right? Like you forget to eat. What goes first? Your brain. You can't think clearly. Your brain is super sensitive. It might only weigh a few kilos, but it uses up a huge percentage of your energy. And when your brain doesn't have the right energy and the right fuel, it breaks down and and gets tired very quickly so imagine food impacts brain health 
so much to the extent that we now call um, Alzheimer's type 3 diabetes. We know diabetes is a blood sugar problem, yep. and we now call Alzheimer's type 3 diabetes. Mm. And this is the crazy thing. With all those chronic diseases I just mentioned, Alzheimer's, dementia, cancer, heart disease, cardiovascular, all these problems, most doctors, they look after you. So they look after the problem. We need to look before. The problems are caused by the food industry. And once you know that, you realize we need to change the way we eat. And, and, and that brings on a good point, especially something for Alzheimer's and, and the food that we're eating that can, can cause that. Um, can you talk a little bit about gut health and how that all connects? Oh, I, so I, honestly, I get on a bit of a tangent on these things because I love it so much. And the, the amount that isn't shared with the wider population, I think, is incredible. So health is really interlinked. So when we talk about food, and I just mentioned like the link between the brain, well, everything you consume has to go through your gut. Your gut is basically from your mouth Yep. your teeth and your tongue and your throat and your stomach and your intestines all the way out to your bum yep. so the gut when we talk about gut health we have to ask ourselves like certain foods promote gut health certain foods destroy yep. our gut right but we want a healthy gut because we want to break down the food properly so we can absorb it number one but also because within our gut are something called microbes and microbes are our bacteria good and bad right so the whole you know when a, a spaceship goes to another planet and it's like oh we want to see signs of life mm -hmm. well they're not looking for a lion or an alien they're looking for microbes they're looking to see if there's these things that are moving around in a cellular level that have basically created life if you believe in evolution yep. so when we talk about gut, gut health, what is the gut? The gut is like your garden. It has good bacteria, bad bacteria. Good bacteria in a garden are like flowers and bad bacteria are like weeds. So if you were having a garden and you wanted a good garden, you want loads of nice flowers, diverse, lots of different colors, sizes, shapes, and you want to minimize weeds and you want really nice soil. So when we talk about gut health, you want loads of good bacteria, the flowers, you want less bad bacteria not zero you want less bad bacteria and we want really good soil or gut lining and a mm. good environment for that to thrive so what does good health good gut health mean it means having a diverse range of good and bad bacteria about 80 20 good so you do want some bad bacteria you don't want zero why would you want bad bacteria what role does it play oh so bad bacteria is actually i mean the question meaning what positive role does good does bad bacteria play on gut yeah so yeah it's a really good question bad bacteria is what basically um okay the way to think about it without bad bacteria you won't destroy some of the bad cells okay so the bad bacteria kind of like clears the dead wood so imagine if you had the forest uh, a garden if you didn't have bad bacteria, you didn't have some weeds in there, mm -hmm. then you, you you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to get rid of the trash in your gut. Similar as the mushroom, it's decaying. The yeah, you want some. You need to decay to then replenish and make your soil more nutrient yeah. rich. It's like inflammation. Yeah. Inflammation isn't good or bad. 
Too much inflammation is bad. Too little inflammation is also bad. You want it just right. It's like Goldilocks. Because inflammation, for example, if I hit my wrist on something and, and, you know, bash it on the side, it swells up. It's inflamed. Inflammation isn't the problem. It's there to help you. Water is sent to the scene to cool inflammation down, Mm. inflame, on fire. So water comes to the wrist, swells up, and it's healing you for a process of like cytokines and things like that to to and bringing the white blood cells to to kind of clear the inflammation. So inflammation isn't necessarily bad and it's the same in your gut. Your when you 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 shouldn't have zero inflammation in your gut. You should be a little bit inflamed to get rid of the dead stuff and heal you, but it's when we're overly inflamed that it's a problem. And the problem is chronic inflammation. Chronic means that it's not one off. It's there forever. It's not there forever. It's there long term. Mm-hmm. So if you, it's even in fitness. If you train every day and you are inflamed every day massively, you, it's like being chronically inflamed. So if you need a, rest, if someone came to you with chronic inflammation in the gut, what would you recommend to them that they should do first? Okay, so you, as a coach, you have to look at all the inputs of why they could be inflamed. So things that inflame. Diet, as I mentioned, oil, sugar, and processed foods and all that. So you might look at that first. Equally, lack of gut diversity. You don't have enough good bacteria and not enough diverse, and you've got too much bad bacteria, so you would look to heal that. The third thing is stress. So why it could be your cortisol levels, your stress hormone is super high, which would lead to inflammation as well. Mm -hmm. It could be that your hormones, because your hormones are like the staff of your body. They control... um, how your body responds. Correct. So it could be that your hormones aren't working as they should. You might have a thyroid problem. You might have a, a you know, an estrogen or a testosterone problem. So you might go there. Or the fourth thing is, I guess, stress isn't just physical. It could be mental. What about lack of sleep? Yeah, absolutely. Sleep, melatonin is your sleep hormone, basically, sleep and recovery hormone. So if you don't sleep enough, melatonin and cortisol, cortisol is your stress and melatonin is your healing um, or sleep. So if you're not sleeping enough, your melatonin will be very low. And if your melatonin is very low, probably your cortisol is very high. Mm -hmm. So lack of sleep is massively inflammatory. And we know that because, you know, if you don't sleep properly, you can't think properly. It's an inflammation problem. If you don't sleep properly, you get massive bags under your eyes. You know, that puffiness is inflammation. So massive is sleep so the big pillars nutrition gut health stress and sleep and the and 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 someone comes to you with that question you're going to investigate all these aspects before you can kind of uh give them any recommendations do you have any examples without giving clients names and maybe not just gut health and chronic gut health inflammation but any type of inflammation and, and assessing a client and and um what did they come to you with what happened and what was the final outcome okay so before going into a specific, I'll give you a generic answer to that, which everyone listening to, you can identify if you've got an inflama- inflama- inflammatory problem um, in terms of like your health by doing some simple tests. And I just want to run through those okay. as an indicator of, do I have a met- met- you know inflama- inflammation problem or metabolism problem or metabolic syndrome these are all inflammation problems so just to be clear a third of americans right now have a 
major blood sugar problem. Okay, so blood sugar, when blood sugar is overly high, it's, it causes inflammation. It causes your, fire, your body to basically be on fire. A third of Americans have a massive problem. Okay, that doesn't mean the other two thirds are good. No, no, no. Mm -hmm. That means they're on a spectrum of like acceptable, they're not optimal, right? So it's estimated by the year 2030, this is like, this is crazy, half the world's population will have a blood sugar problem classified as diabetes or pre-diabetes. Half the world. For me, this is crazy. Mm -hmm. So how can we test ourselves to see how good our metabolism is controlling our blood sugar? Well, there's five tests and three of them you can do at home and two of them you can go to a doctor tomorrow and get them tested. So number one, if you... Have you seen a diabetic person just have a blood sugar prick? Yeah, at the prick? In, test, checking your insulin levels. Yeah, they're so they check their blood sugar and if their blood sugar is overly high, it means that their insulin isn't working effectively. Yeah. So the first thing is, uh, is to test, test your fasted blood sugar, number one. You, and you can buy that pen, it's really cheap. Number two, you can check your overall weight. Um, if you're over a certain kind of like um, circumference in your waist, it's an indicator that you're carrying too much weight, which is a, me a metabolic problem. Um, you can check your blood pressure because your blood pressure, if your blood pressure is high, it means that your body is working really hard to pump blood around. So that's the third. All of those three things you can do at home. Mm -hmm. Number four is to check your cholesterol. And number five is to take your triglycerides. And you do have to go to at least a pharmacy or you can get a home delivery test to do that. And here's the problem. Of those five tests I've just mentioned, in America right now, only 12% of people have no issues with any of them. So everyone, mm. the other 88% have at least one of them having a problem. Yeah. This is huge. So... Um, these are things that you can check at home, but most people will know if they've got a problem because they're feeling bloated, they're carrying excess weight, their energy levels aren't there, their mind can't think properly. I would say the vast majority of people, as I've proved by those statistics, have an inflama inflammation and metabolic problem. Um, and even if you don't have a problem, you can always be better. So you... We've got to the stage in healthcare where the ranges that your doctor are telling you are acceptable are so big. So, for example, a doctor will tell you if your blood pressure is under 140 over 90, you don't have a problem. This is crazy. Like 120 over 80 isn't even optimal. We should be lower than that even. It's acceptable. But to tell someone that their blood pressure is acceptable at 140 over 90 is, is, is crazy. <clears throat> this is bad. And, you know, looking at my brother's lab results, I'm like, your doctor hasn't told you this is a problem. Like, what's mm. going on? Because the doctors don't have time to educate. They'll just give you some drugs. They'll give you some, yeah, you know, they, whatever. They're just looking for a quick, you know, get you in, get you out, and here's your, here's your answer. Good luck. Exactly. So mm. the first thing that we need to do is identify the problem, but then also track progress so the great thing is all those metrics i just told you these are metrics that you can three of them you can check at home and two of them you can go to a doctor mm -hmm. so those three the first three blood sugar um, blood pressure and weight 
require free bits of equipment that you can in total buy for about 50 pounds. And then you can find those uh, acceptable biomarkers online or where where could they find that information? Well, not to plug myself, but you can, <laughs> you can contact me and I'll give you them. Okay. Because again, um, acceptable, if you go to a doctor, he will tell you things are acceptable when they're overly high rather than optimal. Acceptable is... Mm. Acceptable is an optimal. Uh, what, do you think that has any relation with doctors connected to the pharmaceutical industry to give their benchmarks of acceptability? Yes, 100%. Because that was a rhetoric question. If, <laughs> if you think about it, number one, we, there is, this is the problem, there's a vested interest in keeping us non optimal. Healthcare is a massive industry. And even if you speak to a doctor, Doc, I think a lot of doctors go into medicine for the right intentions and nurses. I think they go into, they're not there to make loads of money. Like they can make more money studying other things and going into banking. Mm -hmm. So they go with the right intentions. But if you ask a doctor how many days they have in training for nutrition or gut health or sleep, it's days, days, not weeks, yeah. not years, not months, days. So when you go to a doctor and ask for help, a family doctor, your generalist. GP, yeah. yeah. They're not that educated in nutrition. So, you know, they, they're they very quick to be like, you know, eat less, move more. Yeah. Watch your calories. You know, for example, the food pyramid, which says to go low saturated fat, to eat grains, blah, 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 eat your five a day, whatever. These have caused problems. So... Mm. You know, my, my, the fact that my brother said to me, oh, yeah, I, I, um, I don't eat butter. And I was like, why not? And he's like, uh, because it's bad for you, isn't it? And I was like, why is it bad? And he's like, oh, it's got saturated fats. I'm like, okay, what do you eat instead? He's like, margarine. Utter no, what's it called? I can't believe it's not butter. He eats. I'm like, do you know what margarine is? It's vegetable oil. Processed. And Processed. So I'm like, please go, don't, like, throw it out now. Go to, like, if you eat dairy, go and buy good butter, mm -hmm. New Zealand grass-fed butter, and that's good for your health. And he's like, really? And then my sister-in-law's using rapeseed oil to cook all their meats in and stuff. And she's like, oh, it's better than vegetable oil, isn't it? I was like, rapeseed oil is a seed oil. Vegetable oil is a seed oil. It's the same thing, just renamed. Mm -hmm. Canola oil, people think that's good. So why, why are these seed oils bad for you? Yes, so seed oils are inflammatory basically they're high in omega-6s omega-3s are healing omega-6s are inflammatory that doesn't mean don't have any omega-6s as i said some inflammation is good but the process and the amount that we have is over over the limit so in prehistoric time not prehistoric even 100 years ago doesn't have to be that long ago we would kind of have a ratio maybe like you know one to three or maybe one to ten within Om that range omega three to omega six yeah now it's like for some people can be like one to fifty and if that's if your your diet is heavily you know of grains bread cereals rice and vegetable oils and vegetable oils yeah and if you look at every processed food they are not using things like avocado oil coconut oil olive oil they're using seed oils because they're cheap and they stay um What's the word? You can put them under high temperatures without them going uh, burning. Okay. So pretty, the f quickest thing you can do to help your health is 
to remove processed food or reduce processed foods, um, seed oils, sugar, and and and, and what grains. about olive oils? Olive oil's great. Okay, what, what do you cook with usually? Here in Thailand, we're so bloody lucky. Yeah, like I, for my brother, I couldn't. He lives in the UK. I couldn't tell him go to the store and buy coconut oil uh, uh, to cook with because the coconut oil tastes of coconut. So you don't want to eat eggs with like tasting of coconut. Yeah. Uh, but here in Thailand, we've got coconut cooking oil, which is unfragranced. Um, obviously, coconut oil, pure coconut oil that's got the flavor is less refined, so it's better. But um, I use coconut cooking oil do you have a brand that you, you you're you're t- buying from the villa market you buy online i buy I go to macro it's about 150 baht for a liter okay that's all is it cold pressed well the thing is because they've removed the flavor yes it's actually processed okay but here's the thing good better best right i know that extra virgin cold pressed coconut oil is the best but i don't want to eat my food tasting of coconut yes. so if you don't have a problem with coconut tasting yeah. use it see I, w- I was using that quite often and then my my girlfriend said no you can't cook with i was buying the stuff from the the pharmacy you know that the glass bottle coconut oil is quite expensive it's very expensive yeah. i was cooking with that <laughs> i mean you can <laughs> for like two that, years that is good yeah, yeah I was, it's good it's high in mct now I've, I've switched back to olive oil yep if you cook on a low temperature olive oil is great the problem with olive oil, it burns at a low temperature. And then so, that becomes carcinogenic? Um, well, it means that you're basically burning, which ends up kind of taking the good stuff out of the mm-hmm. out of the oil. Um, yeah, so it's not great. Yeah, I try it's, to stay. You don't want to go past that oil smoking point. Mm. Um, so olive oil, it's good for most things. I, look, the way I cook, coconut oil is for cooking. Olive oil is for dressing. Okay. So I don't heat my olive oil. Oh, okay. So, yeah. As a rule. Yeah, I try to keep the... Because t- I'm cooking... Are you cooking with gas at home or... Yeah, same. So it can get hot really quick. And that's why Thailand. I use coconut oil. Yeah. Because it doesn't burn. doesn't burn. It's Yeah, it's yeah same. I was using that for about two two to three years. And then I switched back to olive oil. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Abs- so in answer to your initial question, mm. gut health, those four things combined with not stressing your body too much and sleeping more um and then comes like specific things you can do for your gut like probiotics adaptogens heal gut healers bone broth um collagen all these other things come in um but yeah i think the big four is the food if you do that you can get rid of most of the problems and then the other things like probiotics and prebiotics and adaptogens and mushrooms and all of that mm-hmm. once you've cleared the slate these things can really benefit. And, and I think for, um, you said you'll be adding adaptogens to nanobulls. Mm-hmm. I don't think a lot of people even understand what, I, I understand, but I'll allow you to explain. What is an adaptogen? So, okay. So as I mentioned before, a lot of attention went on macronutrients previously, um, protein, fats, carbs, all of that. So that's not a bad thing to pay attention to. We should. Um but then there's a whole host of other micronutrients, vitamins, minerals, um, probiotics, bacteria, adaptogens, um, herbs that also contain a lot of information, but they're, they're needed on a micro level. That's why they're called macronutrients, because you need more of them. And micronutrients, you need them in less amounts, right? 
if you eat a whole food plant-based diet, you are probably getting quite a good spectrum of those micronutrients. The problem is most of us aren't. Mm -hmm. So that's where things like adaptogens that you take, whether it's mushrooms or whether it's herbs, um, different superfoods, uh, different powders, antioxidants and stuff can really benefit. Ideally, we wouldn't have to, but because we're so far removed, we do, in my opinion. And what about yourself? Are you taking um, any specific adaptogens? I mean, uh, uh, before you answer that, like um, myself, I try to, I've changed my diet in the morning to uh, pretty much an adaptogen smoothie. Oh, uh, what do you put? Oh, God. Chia seed, flax seed, uh, lion's mane, reishi, chaga, all pretty much all of our mushroom powders, uh, coconut oil. I'll put a banana, a cup of raspberry, then some protein powder, which I know it's not good. No, uh, protein powder can be good. It's whey, whey powder. Um, oh, my. What else do I throw well, in you there? put a lot. Maca powder, spirulina. Uh, BCAA, glutamine. So I kind of make like an adaptogen smoothie. Yeah. And then I just have pretty much that, which is about two big glasses. Um, and I fry three eggs and a tomato. And that's my... That's brilliant. That's it. It's a great breakfast. Till, till dinner. So I think like adaptogens in terms of herbs and spices and roots and mushrooms, like I think this is the future. And what are, what are you taking? So I take maca. Same. Um, what else do I take? I take spirulina, chlorella, yeah. um, ginger, cinnamon, um, uh, different herbs like thyme. So I have this mix. You know, have you heard of za'atar? No. It's an Arabic kind of mixed spice. Literally, I put on everything. It's, it's the best thing. Um, I can't, you know, sumac is another herb. Essentially, I just tell people... Cook with, if you're, you know, people used to buy like Uncle Ben's sauces and like, yeah. you know, curry sauces and stuff. I'm like, don't do that. Don't eat your, don't eat your calories like that. It's not good. Get olive oil and mix it with all these spices that we've been mentioned, yep. uh, mentioning and make your own sauces, make your own marinades, make your own, like start, start with that as a base. Like mayonnaise is not, or tomato ketchup, unless you're making it from scratch, yeah, is not what you should be using. No. Um, so yeah, like as but as I said, I like to get most of my f nutrition from real food because I want to feel full up. So it's only often when I'm kind of not feeling at my best, maybe cognitively or maybe immune immunity based, that I start like having these supplements mm -hmm. independently of food. Is it? I haven't done any research into this, but I had a a guy that I was working with before when I would. I go in and out of these adaptogen smoothies um, just so I, I, I'm, I'm not eating too heavy in the morning. Um, is there any research out there or studies in there? If you just take all your adaptogens, you throw it in this smoothie blender that one cancels out the other, or is it okay to kind of take it all in? The problem is most research has been led by multinationals such as Coca and Nestle, you know, for their own interests. In terms of research for things like spirulina, chlorella, maca, mushrooms even, CBD, all of these things, yeah. they're very underfunded. So in terms, I, don't, I need to be honest, the level of science that supports all of these products is pretty low. Yeah, there's um, no research out there. Because it's not funded. It doesn't make much money. Yep. Um, it's not supported the same as processed foods are. 
So in terms of the research, it's pretty sporadic, but we, I, I say become your own biohacker, like test it on yourself. If you feel better, test it and, and you know, it's probably working. Um, there's not much research into these products. Yeah, my, again, I, I don't know the research. It doesn't exist. It's not out there, but I'm just assuming that, like, for example, all through, like, uh, turmeric and into my, my morning smoothie. Um, the raspberry banana and, and, and whey protein destroys the, all Tasty. that bitter taste. So it's okay because it's sugary. I just, uh, and I could be wrong, I feel that, like, if you use too much maca or too much turmeric, your body can't absorb that adaptogen or that botanical at that specific time. Same if you took uh, protein powder. Well, the human body can only process 24 grams of protein in an hour. So when you put three scoops of 24 grams into your smoothie, well, you're just, you know, you're, you're not absorbing it all. So yeah. that, that's kind of my theory behind it all. I think you can mix it all, but don't mix too much of one. Yeah, there's a, there's a kind of generic rule that I think works really well for, for nutrition, which is no meal should have pretty much more than eight to ten ingredients <clears throat> so you know if your smoothie is having more than eight to ten ingredients you may have gone a bit ott yeah. go go a little lower um, and that's true for most things like if you buy a processed food most of them have more than eight ingredients for sure so you know it's pretty bad and you can't even read half the, yeah the ingredients on in the back what i would say <clears throat> certain minerals and vitamins are for example fat soluble so when we talk about absorption you <laughs> Yeah, just having the vitamin, for example, without a meal affects its uptake. So, you know, you could argue that, as you said, overdoing something and not having something else or whatever could affect its, you know, potency or how how efficient it is. Mm -hmm. um, and that's definitely true. And and on the, the vitamin conversation, things like, let's say you're... Uh, Blackmores, it's it's a, fa a famous brand. So like Blackmores, vitamin C, vitamin B. Do we need to be taking these before meals, after meals? And what are your thoughts on like these? They're, essentially, there are corporations, companies like Blackmores in terms of the quality of their vitamins. Mm -hmm. how, how do you stand behind that? Do you have specific vitamin brands that you take? So the first thing is, I, unless you're a vegan... Um, or follow a really strict plant-based diet and maybe a little low on, for example, B12. Okay. Um, I think you've got to start where you're at and look at what your mineral and vitamin uptake is. And you can just go on www.chronometer.com. I, I think it's a .com. And you can use the software for free. You can plug in three days of what you eat and drink and it will come up with how your vitamins and minerals as well as your macros are on the scale so once you've done that you can then identify whether you need minerals or vitamins externally or mm -hmm. in addition ideally you would get it from food i think food is you don't need to supplement if you've got it you know okay. if you're living in somewhere where you can't get that diverse food yeah, take a multivitamin, take a vit, uh, supplement. And you're, um, yourself, are, are you, I don't take are any. you vegetarian, vegan? Are you eating whatever? Or? I'm pretty plant-based. So about 80 to 90% of what I eat is... Flexitarian. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> well, the, you know the word I use? Mm. I'm a nutritarian. Okay. 
because I don't feel if you're a vegan, for example, because of ethical reasons, I think that's great. Like that 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 you're vegan for ethical reasons. But to say vegan as a diet or paleo as a diet or cal high calorie or Atkins or keto, I don't think these terms are helpful. I think they're quite polarizing. And when you don't stick to it, you feel bad and blah, 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 blah. I think being a nutritarian and saying I eat a diet full of nutrients yes. across any of those diets is true. So, you know, keto doesn't say that you have to eat a diverse range of nutrients. Mm -hmm. Atkins doesn't say that. Weight Watchers doesn't. Calorie counting doesn't. If you say you're a nutritarian, nutrients quality, food quality comes first. Then looking at how it's broken down into different macros and micros makes sense. So I'm a nutritarian. I love nutrients. Yeah, and I think it is about balance and whatever you, not just applying that to your nutritional daily life, but I mean, that can be applied to your sleep, to your work, to uh, your relationships. Balance is key. Would you yeah. agree with that? I mean, it's... Yeah, 100%. And I think, you know, if you, for example, go into nutrition, if you've got lots of nutrients in your body, when you have a meal or a snack or a treat or whatever you term it that isn't high in nutrients and actually has anti-nutrients, i.e. chemicals, toxins, preservatives, your body will be better able to deal with that. Mm -hmm. So to say mm -hmm. all... To say, like, I'm eating the same calories, whether it's from a nutrient-dense or a nutrient-sparse meal, is not true. Like, if you if you are going to eat those cheesecakes and, you know, fish and chips or battered things, if you eat it in addition to all those other nutrients, your body's going to respond differently versus only eating that processed food, mm -hmm. even if the calories are the same. And, and when you have clients come to you and you, you've analyzed their diet and... And, and try to give them a little bit more direction. Do you, are, so are you labeling, labeling yourself or as a nutritionist in that aspect, or is it more just uh, a coach mentor? How do you define yourself to the clients in that, as, in that uh, school of thought? So it's a really good question. I've never advertised myself. I've never had to label myself. Um, I've never marketed myself as these things. I've never promoted it people always come to me so i've never actually had to say i am this i am that mm -hmm. i'm again i'm like what's what's your problem and it might the entry platform might be stress it might be sleep it might be that you don't have a plan it might be nutrition and you know the results speak for themselves so i've never had to say that for example do you know that a nutrition you can call yourself a nutritionist after a two-day course for sure or a nutrition coach and you know I, th I feel like people hide behind their qualification or certifications when they're actually like you know i'm a certified life coach have you lived like yeah. have you had experiences you know or you know i'm i'm a uh, qualified nutrition coach and i've done a two-day course that cost 100 quid yeah. like have you experimented with all these diets how many lives have you changed how many people have you adjusted and and got the results mm -hmm. so you know for me nutrition is really important but as part of the whole health conversation in isolation i i feel it's um, it's a big part but it's not the only part mm -hmm. you've got to 
change nutrition, then change sleep, then change fitness, then change movement, then change stress, and then come back to nutrition. Keep it's editing. a giant wheel of it's there's really many pieces of the pie there. Yeah, like yeah. similar with a business. You would never go, okay, your business's problem is marketing. I'm only going to help your marketing. This is the only problem. You're like, okay, adjust marketing. Then you're going to go, okay, adjust branding. And then you're going to go adjust product. And then you're going to go adjust retail. Like you're going to adjust all of them, turning them bit by bit. Yep. Until it all works. And what about for, for yourself? What is your ideal or go-to cheat meal? Because we all have to have a cheat meal, even if it is uh, preservatives or, yeah. you know, some garbage. Of course, we're human. Right. Um, I love, I've got, sometimes I've got a sweet tooth and I love like, you know, brownies and, mm -hmm. um, you know, ice cream sandwiches and cheesecake. I love that. Um, I'm not a massive fan of like, kind of red meats mm -hmm. so most people be like oh i want this like steak and philly sandwich i'm like mm, not, not that keen i like flavors so you know anything that's a bit saucy like or cheesy or something like, like. indian food well yeah you but you know have you been to india i've been to sri lanka so. okay so you you were know from sri lanka the foods that they eat in sri lanka and india like local ones they are really heavy on spices. Yeah. They're not that heavy on sauces. It's true. Yeah. So, and if they do use sauces, they're very flavoursome, so you don't need much. Um, and we've kind of like the UK and the American places, we've kind of bastardized Indian food to make it... It's quite creamy now. Yeah. yeah, and that just makes me feel shit. I just yeah. feel like bloated. I feel sick. Yeah, so, creams yeah but yeah, I love herbs and spices. Like... Yeah, I just love it. That's why I love Arabic food, love Indian food, but the mm -hmm. the, the flavoursome stuff. Yeah, same. But it's it's hard to find it in Phuket. Um, these these foods that haven't been bastardized. I mean, because yeah. like, it's kind of built for the tourist tongue, right? So. Yeah, but yeah, I you know pizzas as well. Like yeah, that's my go-to pizza. pizza. Pizza and uh, Burger King is bad. If I Burger King. Yeah, don't ask. Rendered. <laughs> it's so, not no, like one, once maybe once every month or two months i went on a stretch which was like maybe once a week for like a month or two months okay but then i i, I got all right that's enough but i find it's the better shitty food of the shitty foods but when you have like a good uh, burger somewhere, yeah i know it's it tastes so much better than a burger well I, i'll order it on food panda because i'm guilty so i don't want to go out <laughs> and then it just arrives oh. just grab your, your your bag and run in <laughs> but no no i i i i, I diverged away from yeah. that as well yeah. yeah. Um. I'll, I'll, I wanted to jump back on one point you're you're talking about, especially in terms of, um, uh, these the superfoods. Let's call them adaptogens and whatnot. Mm -hmm. I, I totally agree with that as well because we are doing the medicinal mushrooms. We've done a lot of research into that, and there's a huge war in our world of uh, people who are selling what's called uh, mycelium on grain. I might have explained this to you before. Mm -hmm. Um, but maybe not for the list listeners. So yeah, let's let's clip that. <laughs> but um, there there is a war there where you get companies that are selling mycelium on grain, which essentially is uh, you, you take a substrate like brown rice. Um, brown rice is the substrate. Brown rice flour. You inoculate it with whatever mushroom strain you're trying to grow. Let's say lion's mane. Uh, you then take that and you're you're attempting to grow the mushroom into the fruiting body. However, what happens is because in the USA, 
um, it's very expensive to 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 harvest mushrooms because for mushrooms it's one of the only uh, let's call it a vegetable that you have to hand pick because they grow in different shapes and sizes. Mm-hmm. Even to this day, it's you cannot uh, harvest mushrooms with machines. Mm-hmm. It has to be hand picked. That's why it's expensive. So these companies that will sell you the these these medicines, let's call them, or these adaptogens, mm-hmm. they'll sell a product called mycelium on grain. And all they're doing is they're taking that substrate of brown rice flour, they've inoculated it, and the mycelium starts to grow. And from that, you, you get this network of neurons, and it's basically what looks like a white fungus starting to appear. Mm-hmm. However, in the mushroom's life cycle, at no point does the mushroom even pin or begin to grow into a fruiting body. Um, these companies in the USA will take that brown flour and throw it through a processing machine mm-hmm. and turn that into the pill. Well, and then they sell you that, and you take that as your, your herbal medicine of, of mushrooms. Well, guess what you're taking? Mm. You're taking brown rice flour. That's pretty much what 99% of it is. So other companies like our company, and that's why we've called ourselves Fruiting Body, is because we're dealing with uh, farms and, f- and uh, processing plants that allow that actually grow the full form of the mushroom. We will process that using uh, a freeze-drying technique um, that can then break it down into a powder, and we use it. Uh, dual extraction processes uh, depending on the mushroom let's say for reishi for example we'll use an alcohol extraction and a water extraction because you're trying to pull things out of it such as your beta glucans uh, 3-6 and also things like your triterpenes which specifically comes from things like reishi but in that whole process back on the mycelium and grain side they are not using these dual extraction processes they'll grow the reishi take the substrate powder it all and put it in a pill and sell it to you. Now, they do that because it's grown in the USA, but other companies like ourselves, we're doing it globally and um, actually giving the, the fruiting body of the mushroom. And the whole point of that conversation was to explain, we have these wars between mycelium grain and fruiting body because one will say they're better than the other, and they can do that. Why? Because the research doesn't exist. But at, if, you, if you were to think about it logically, I mean, it's pretty obvious uh, which product is going to be more beneficial for you. And that's, as we've done this research more into the mushroom side, and I haven't jumped into the other botanicals like your maccas and even your, your turmerics, I would love, I would, I assume that in all those industries of your maccas, maccas and turmerics and spirulinas, who knows the quality that you're getting from there, depending on who you're buying from. And that, that kind of concerns me as well. And, and where is the research behind that? How do we set benchmarks and biomarkers on products like spirulina? Mm-hmm. How do we know what quality is better and what we're taking? Because at the end of the day, we end up buying those products from corporations as well, not from smaller companies that are putting their, 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 their money into the, the quality itself. Yeah. So that's kind of my spiel, spiel on that. Yeah, it's... Uh at the end of the day, it's really difficult because quality is it's quite hard to kind of put on a scale. You know, it's easy when you think of like a car brand or something, um, or, you know, when you can see a physical product and you kind of have a relationship with that product and you'd be like, oh, this this phone feels and looks and functions better. But with nutrition, a lot of it's going on inside, so you, you can't see how good or bad quality affects you. Mm. But 
we do know that if we take if we take meat for example like sausage like pork meat that's all highly processed and like squidged into something that doesn't really even look like meat a hot dog for example versus you know a slab of you know uh, grass-fed beef or whatnot like we can see the difference in quality and we can feel the difference in quality so i would say for any kind of these powders that people are taking there are some little tricks that you can do um to kind of eradicate some options and maybe do a bit more research but i would say the first thing to kind of ask yourself is you know you have the right when you buy a product to ask the manufacturer or the brand mm -hmm. you know where are you buying this from you know where's your certificates even certificates you've got to be a bit careful of so that could be a step second of all i always think the more potent the the, the ingredient tastes often because Foods have something called flavonoids, yes. uh, which gives it its flavor. So, you know, with my family, I'm like, all vegetables that are green aren't created the same. And they're like, what do you mean? I was like, you know, like herbs, like parsley or coriander or whatever, they taste strong, right? I was, they're like, yeah. I'm like, versus lettuce or cucumber, it doesn't really taste of anything. They're like, yeah. So I said, okay, which one do you think has more nutrient benefits? It's the things that taste stronger. And they're yeah. like, right. So one test you could do with these macas and stuff is what's the flavor is it stronger in one product versus another second of all you can take products and get them for very cheap tested for things like heavy metals yeah. uh, if you take your health seriously you know you can get you can go to a lab for about here in in thailand for about 2000 baht which is about 60 dollars you can get it tested for different her, uh, different Heavy that, that's usually the, the certificate of analysis. Yes, and but you can do that yourself. You can, but in it's most most of that stuff that they're testing is going to be uh, pesticides, yeah, uh, and heavy metals, lead, mercury, heavy metals, yeah. and uh, E. coli. Yeah. Um, beyond, but in terms of the um, quality, whatever those let's say biomarkers are in that product, yeah. and every product has their own. I mean, I know yeah. know ours for mushrooms, and I'm sure spirulina has theirs that information does not exist yeah because the research doesn't exist because there's no one behind it yeah um, but i think yeah. you mentioned a really good point of like using common sense yes as so well. if you thing is you know your product so you know what good quality means but most people buying that product won't know um the difference as you quite rightly said what's the difference and they're just seeing lines main on a label and they think it's all the same so i guess you you can't really educate the world on this but you can do your bit to I help think the, educate. the only thing I, the only advice i would try to give is do your research yeah. do your own research if if you want to, to look into that because yeah. it's it is quite difficult but the thing is it's so hard right it's like, very difficult if yeah. you look at the average person we're each eating over probably 200 different ingredients yeah how do you research everyone almost impossible and you're doing your job and looking after your kids and stuff like but it is, so it's hard. true exactly what you said because i eat kale um with my with my eggs in the morning on the side and it, it is extremely potent it's very bitter it's strong it's not that bad but then I, you have to assume that there's much more nutrients in kale compared to if i just lettuce for example yeah, yeah. and so that's a little trick that you can do yeah. but it's not always true like something could be high in flavor because it's high in bad stuff as well uh, it doesn't mean it's always good yeah. so 
but as a general rule it's quite nice and quite a simple one and also heavily um what do you call it heavily f uh, kind of fortified products with loads of added additives or preservatives or colorings or flavorings artificial if they've got those things probably that brand doesn't really care about your health they care about you buying that product and making money yeah and especially if that brand oh it's almost 4 30 we'll wrap it up in about two seconds 4 27 oh we've spoken for a long time yeah it goes quick um That's yeah we'll wrap it up in a um yeah, I, I think especially on the, the the strong bitterness taste, almost like Chinese medicine. I, I've taken it; it's very potent, it's very strong. Yeah, but it works exactly. Um, but I think just to summarize, going back to a more natural diet of food, but also products you use on your skin. Um, I'm really old school. Like mm. I only use tea tree oil. Uh, I use a organic natural toothpaste i use my own homemade soap and i use um what about deodorant then i don't use deodorant. don't use any is that bad no i don't know some people <laughs> they don't they're not musky they can get away with it okay so my mum is from south america yeah and when i was younger you know when you go through that certain age puberty age and all the kids at school will use um spray deodorant. spray de aerosols links do you remember links? Uh, we have that. In we the had year. something similar. You probably have something yeah. similar. So we have this deodorant called Links, and it's really like a really heavy smell. And but all the boys use it. So like I remember going home and being like, "Mom, you need to buy me Links because everyone else bought it." And she was like, "No, you're not using it." I was like, "What?" She was like, "If you smell, take a shower." And I was like, "Oh, I just want to use Links because after you've done PE or physical education, you want to, you know, gym, you want to use it." Yeah. So she refused. She was like people that use that are like there's a reason you sweat right so antiperspirant is blocking the sweat so that's not good because yeah. that it's the sweat buildup, and then these aftershaves or perfumes that hide the smell aren't cleaning you they're just hiding the smell just blocking it yeah and hiding the smell she was like you know you don't like you wouldn't do that if you're if you've got a plate of food and it's dirty you don't spray something onto it to then reuse it you wash it and get rid of the dirt. So she refused to let me use it. Mm -hmm. And so I've never used it. So I don't use deodorant. And what about lime? Some people say they use lime. Yeah. So I used to teach people how to make homemade stuff. Okay. And lime is great because it's like, especially for hair, actually, um, for the head. It's an insecticide. It's a pesticide. It's anti-dandruff. It's uh, antibacterial. Um, yeah, it's great. So, yeah, the thing is, it can be quite harsh on the skin. So, yeah, especially I, I, I yeah, don't use lime on the skin and go to the sun. Eh? I thought yeah, you could it's use quite harsh. It's, it burns it out. I thought yeah, you could use harsh. lime on mosquito bites. Yeah. So I was yeah, reading I, something. Like for that. me, the best thing anyone can use for basically every problem is tea tree oil. Tea tree oil. Tea tree oil. Yeah. You just buy a little bottle. Mm -hmm. I, I have the same tiny bottle that costs maybe like five pounds. It lasts like three years. Like you just any problem, any spot, any scar, any scratch, just mm. put it on a bit of water and you like just like if you have a mosquito bite or any in inflammation. Any or, problem. Really? It's a one like for me, yeah. your bathroom should be like your kitchen cupboard. Like 
everything you have there should be a natural ingredient mm. because whether it goes through your skin or through your mouth, it's still entering your body. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, I don't want to get into this, but I don't use any <sighs> chemical product. Yeah. And shampoos, body shampoos, anything like this. Just use, like for me, I think all of these products are to make money from you. So It's all chemical based anyway. And they cause more problems. So for example, do you, there's a reason why every face care brand does, you know, I didn't even know the words, but like scrub, toner, cleanser, cream, moisturizer, balm, there's a reason they sell all of them as one because they know that the scrub is drying out your skin. So you'll need moisturizer. They know that the moisturizer is causing bad skin. So you'll need cleanser. Like it's all in one big cycle mm-hmm. to keep make, making you buy the products. I'm like, oh God, guys, like what were your ancestors? Like, I don't think I've got bad skin mm. and I, uh, I just use water. So I don't That's know. It. You're not like, creaming every night. I am. I, that's maybe it's a bad thing. That sounded really <laughs> rude. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> no, but I got like a whole. Oh my god, I got like thirty. No, I got like ten different creams. Face You're cream. not creaming every night. <laughs> there we go. That's that's the soundbite from this podcast. Yeah, I like that. But yeah, you don't need yeah. it. And I think like going back to nature yeah. is pretty much my advice for everything. Whether it's gut health, whether it's sleep, whether it's stress, whether it's business, it's like, you know, when I when I studied architecture and engineering, my professor on the first day of university said, "Look, he took an egg, a hot, you know, like a eggshell, he put it in his hand, and he was like, this here is stronger than anything, like concrete, steel, whatever, or as strong." And we were like, "What?" He was like, "I can't crush this egg," and we were like it's an egg like you crush an egg every day to scramble it or fry it right he was like take the egg and you put it in the middle of your hand and you with a uniform hand not with a point load you squeeze it you can't break it the eggshell is less than like a hundredth of a millimeter thick you cannot break it because nature has often created the best things Mm -hmm. you know like a plant we can't design i can't design a building like a tree that goes up in the sky the tree somehow has made its own foundations, its own flexibility to respond to the wind. Nature has the answers. Mm. We think we're smarter than nature and try to manipulate it. Just go back to nature and you can't really go wrong. Yeah, and that's... Pretty that's, much in anything. I think that that's... And that's a, a good way to, to uh, end this podcast on that note. I think that was quite informative at the end. Thank you. Um, so uh, just because it, it's, yeah, 4.30 and I, want, I don't want to take too much of your time so but uh, before we go let's uh let phil plug yourself um where can people find you in terms of let's talk about instagram for nanobles and also for for uh, your website and coaching and maybe you look which camera look we at like? that camera there <laughs> yeah so guys if you're interested in optimizing your health performance your mindset your nutrition your sleep any of those things then you can find me at phil P-H-I-L, Anthony, A-N-T-H-O-N-Y, M for mother, Anthony M, on Instagram, Facebook. My email is phil at philanthonym.com. Find me there. Find me on YouTube. Get in touch. If you've got any problems, I'd love to connect with you. I love helping people and their businesses. And yeah, it's all about optimization. So Okay, awesome. And on our side, uh, we're Fruiting Body Mushrooms. I'm Brendan O'Neill, your host. 
Did I get it right, Talise? Yeah? Okay. Um, we will be launching products soon. Uh, stuff like Lion's Mane, Reishi, Chaga, uh, Cordyceps. Uh, we'll explain that all uh, on later podcasts and uh, once our website launches and our Instagram account, Fruiting Body. Um, for YouTube, you can find us at Fruiting Body Podcast. For content, you can find us at Fruiting Body. All of this on YouTube. Um, we'll be doing some stuff, people at Phuket, Muay Thai events, uh, educational information on mushrooms, and we'll be doing a behind-the-scenes vlog of the lifestyle in Phuket with our team. So stay tuned to that. And wait, Phil's got one more thing before we go. one more thing to say, and I forgot to say it. Go ahead. And I think this is really relevant to your audience, is over the last year, me and one of my good friends, Craig Burton, he's an amazing coach as well, we've come together to create what we're calling the Blood Sugar Academy. Okay. And it's amazing. We, we're launching it in a few weeks, which will basically, over a course of a year, it's group coaching, it's the, it basically it's podcasts, it's reading material, it's FAQ sessions. You can submit any questions on your gut health, nutrition, all of that stuff. It's for less than a, a couple of dollars a day and it's for a year and we're adding so much value to that. And, and this would be like kind of a, uh, set up like a um, um, educational program on a website, kind of, you know, these programs you go through, yeah. depending on what you're trying to learn, this type of stuff. Yeah, so it's a year-long membership, and yeah. we cover gut health, nutrition, quality, timing, and we use the blood sugar monitor as your biohacking feedback mechanism and the so content is everything's personalized the content is it's for the individual one-on-one -on -one. is it group or how so does that work all the content is is four steps so it's learning through reading and through listening then it's actioning and it's discussing discussing and then it's challenges throughout the the time whereby we you know like i ex gave examples of how i've done it with my clients you'll set task and you you know you make incremental changes over the year mm. and um, we're trying to keep the numbers quite low probably about 50 people maximum so that we can really give that personalized feedback and so with this course and with this membership you will never have to ask is this good or bad for me you will never have to take generic advice you will be able to personalize everything for you maybe a tomato is going to inflame you for me maybe it's going to be my silver lining yeah. for, for someone else maybe they're eating too little protein too much with this tool we will be able to optimize your energy your body composition sleep gut health everything and how can people this is going to come out in a few weeks and yeah. how can people find that add me on philanthonym.com yeah. to instagram facebook whatever but you can also currently go to bloodsugar.academy and there's an outline of what the thing will be and just shoot us an blood email. sugar Dot, dot academy. academy so not a dot com it's no. dot academy yeah okay. blood sugar i and craig and most health biohackers now believe blood sugar is the number one problem in health yep. and when once you know how to regulate this and you know the foods that regulate it you don't have to do things like intermittent fasting 16 8 we can find your absolute best time to fast we can find out what the best macronutrient breakdown for you is we can know whether fat or carbs work for you we can find out if you're eating enough fiber or not and what diversity you're getting we can heal your gut we can all naturally without medications so even if you've got diabetes apart from type 1 if you've got type 2 diabetes yep. we can reverse it like this so is healthcare. What, what we could do once that launches and it, it gets rolling, if you guys, uh, I never, I'm looking at which camera here. 
I'll follow your site. Uh, <laughs> once we get rolling, maybe we can bring Phil back on with your, your business partner. Yeah. Um, and we can dive a bit deeper into understanding blood sugar. And just so leave some stuff in the comments. Let us know about that. Swipe up. Swipe up. I don't even know. We're on YouTube. Don't know you're but just up. swipe up. And uh, yeah, let, let's let's dive into that for sure, Phil. We'd love to have you back with your business partner and go full speed. Into Thank that. you. And thanks awesome. for having me on today. And thanks for all that you're doing. If you enjoyed this podcast and you'd like to watch the full video on YouTube, come visit our channel, Fruiting Body Podcast. We can also be found on Instagram at Fruiting Body Podcast. Please be sure to share and follow this podcast with friends and family. Thank you very much.